welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. My name is Brett Schaefer. I'm joined here by Ryan Henderson, as always, and this is the Investing Power Hour number 69. As we keep climbing on here, any listeners, please get your, you know, get your brains out of the gutter there. Uh, we have earnings season really in full swing. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. This is one of those shows every couple months where we could probably go for three hours. But first, Ryan, as a little teaser here, or a little warm-up, how was Hawaii? You spent some time. What island were you on? I don't even know. Kona. Well, it was Kona the island. Big island. The, but we were in Kona. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. The Bad Wi-Fi, though. Apparently. They got horrible. fixed that. Yeah, pretty pretty rough. I mean, it was okay. It just wouldn't have been like live streamable. I mean, you really got to have pretty solid Wi-Fi for to broadcast these shows, I think. But um, no, it was a lot of fun. It's incredible weather. I don't know. Sometimes I just think like, yeah, it's a great place to retire. But I wonder if you would ju- like, isn't there something called like island fever where you just get like kind of, you feel like you're incredibly secluded. I would definitely feel that. 100%. 100%. All right. Well, this is the Investing Power Hour. Uh, We do these every Thursday or once a week. And we basically talk about anything in the financial markets, investing, business world. What do you have on the docket this week? It seems like you've just compiled a bunch of earnings reports that looked interesting. That is exactly what I've done. Yeah. not, uh, Not a whole lot of like big things, just a bunch of, I want to cover all the major companies. So just full-blown earnings roundup, earnings palooza. We can go through everyone. I know it'll be a little scatterbrained for people that want like a focus show, but uh, yeah, I've got a lot to touch on. All right. Yeah. And then I have Spotify earnings and their price hikes, kind of going through that, the, the plus and minuses of that report. And then ESPN potentially getting in bed with the sports leagues, which I thought was interesting, could be a nice little development as we get the sports transition to streaming that we've been following recently. And then a little fun one, we have the launch of WorldCoin, if we get to that. So Ryan, he's getting distracted by the pet over here. But I think, why don't we start with you? What do you want? What, what, what company do you want to hit first? Yeah, sorry. There's a flying creature around here. Um, I don't know. Let's talk Google. Google's kind of the big one. We own it. Um, one of the big three that reported this week. So we've had what Meta, Google, Microsoft so far, Apple and Amazon have not reported yet. Netflix reported. Probably could have talked about that too. But um, Google, I don't know. What were your thoughts? I thought the quarter looked pretty good. Yeah, nothing. No, but no big surprises, I guess. I think maybe a positive surprise in Google Cloud, but... Besides that, not, not much. Sorry, I'm having some distractions over here. Um, oh, yeah. Well, we had, uh, I guess, as I don't this know. This has been show. a horrible start to the show, but that's all right. Yeah. Well, we both do these from our home. So I think uh, 
what what what, are you, what were your thoughts on the court? I thought it was honest. I mean, we can go through the segments kind of and stuff like that, but I thought honestly very in line with what they said. I'm I was kind of surprised to see the stock up, but I guess I honestly every time I have to try to figure out what a stock's going to do after an earnings report, I just uh, if I have to guess, I always go, hmm, I think it'll be down. And then it's always up. And it's, it seems like I, I honestly should just flip a coin because I would do no better than that. Yeah, maybe. I think sometimes if I read it, occasionally if I read it and I haven't seen the stock reaction, you kind of know in advance. Like, And it's usually to the downside. Oh, you usually know like, incredibly oh, bad. Okay, this yeah. is, yes, yeah, not going to go well. The, um, but for Google, I thought it was a really good quarter. And I mean, search is kind of back. Search ads are search ad revenue was up 5%, which might not be huge, but for a business that seemed like it was really slowing, primarily due to just overall ad spending slowing, I think that's certainly a positive. Uh, the other one I was really impressed with Google Cloud. Google Cloud still growing 28% year over year and margins. I had a tweet the other day, which just kind of went through the operating margins within Google Cloud for all you the cars. You did the growth hack that we, tried, that yeah, we said, right? Which, yeah, if you're trying to grow your followers, just tweet numbers about big tech and you'll get there. The uh, But it went from... Their operating margins since Q1 of 2020 have gone from negative 62% to 5%, positive 5% in, what is that, 14 quarters, so three and a half years. I find it, I think it's a really good example of the advantage that big tech has now. Where And, and Google Cloud, I mean, I'm sure it was like a solid offering to begin with, but it they had endless resources to invest in this offering, invest in this really business on its own and which competitors just don't have. So they have the, the capital to do it, the talent to do it. And I think this is just a really good example of they can lose money for a long time because they have so much room to invest that they're going to come out with a more profitable business in the end. Now I want to see it continue because Seems like Google is one of those companies that likes to get a little bit of profitability and then hide it. Oh yeah, I mean, this quarter they were like, "Hey, we're growing again, so yeah, we're gonna, you know, get back to hiring and stuff." And I really like. We can maybe talk about it later. I really like how they actually care about being efficient. They actually care about return on the spend. And Alphabet was like, "Hey, we did this layoff, so we're cool now, right?" You know. I know, and it's. Yeah, that is the one frustration for me is they just like, you really can't underwrite margin expansion. Like you can't expect them to grow profitability because if they wanted to, I think they could have probably 50% operating margins. Yeah, that's true. But, but, you know, they're investing in some stuff that could have promise like Waymo and some of the other AI stuff and some of the biotech stuff and some of the YouTube stuff, the cloud stuff. But, but a lot of the stuff. A lot of the employees stuff employees are working on like Google Assistant stuff like that. Yeah, totally get that. I think anyway. yeah, interesting thing on cloud one, they said that Google Cloud project is growing faster than overall cloud revenue because I think they include Google, Google Workspace, which really doesn't they don't really care that much about. So 
if you take that out, they're actually growing faster than both Azure and AWS. Now they were growing slower than Azure for a little bit now, but they're, it'll be interesting to see if they continue to grow over the next two, three years, um, faster than their two competitors. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. Yeah. On a nominal basis, it, they're not growing as fast, but on a percentage basis they are. And then one other on the margin thing. Yeah, some of it, I think any listener who follows these companies closely know that a lot of the margin is because they extended the life of their servers. So the depreciation expense is lower. Um, but I still think, I think if all the companies are doing it, that's because they found out that the servers last longer. And then I guess lastly, yeah, it's not, that's not, <laughs> that's I a good think, thing. It's a good thing. I bet if they could, they would depreciate that quicker for the yeah. tax. Uh, so they did, they didn't have to show earnings. I mean, that's, it, it seems like they realized they kind of had to, because that was actually like the useful life of whatever the server. Is. So I don't think that's like financial gimmickry or gimmickry, whatever. Yeah. You know, some people the, say, trickery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I think, yeah, when you mentioned that there's the advantage of being able to do this project versus say any other company, that's not one of the big tech companies you have, I guess for anyone that doesn't know, Google severely over-invested, or I guess I should say Alphabet, but they severely over-invested into the Google Cloud project at the start to try to match the capabilities of especially Amazon Web Services, but also Azure. But at the start, they didn't have the customers to make that profitable. So like Ryan mentioned, where they had negative 60% operating margins, but they hired tons and tons of people, both sales staff, building that muscle out, and then also all the capabilities that AWS has, no one would be able to burn that tens of billions of dollars for multiple years on that. But now, you know, Alphabet can, and now it's paying off, and now it looks like they're going to have a business that probably is going to hit. I don't want to say this is a guarantee, but probably hit $100 billion in annual revenue sometime, I don't know, five, six, seven years from now. Yeah, man, it's on what thirty-two billion dollar run rate right now. And the other thing I find interesting is, I thought, and we can talk about Microsoft's earnings now too. I thought Azure, you know, Microsoft reports intelligent cloud revenue. They don't report Azure specifically. I thought Azure made up a huge chunk of that, and I thought it was growing share. But those internal documents from the Activision litigation showed that it's only half the size of AWS, which means it's less than half of Microsoft's intelligent cloud revenue. So it's really not, I don't know. I think Microsoft was making it seem like they were a more formidable competitor than they maybe were. I mean, it's still a huge business, don't get me wrong, but I find it it felt like they were maybe promoting themselves or putting themselves in a better light than they were actually positioned relative to AWS. Yeah. Cause I think some of the numbers you look at, and I can maybe even just look up something now. Cause when I do just look up cloud market share for say a Molly full article, I believe they put like AWS at 30% and then Azure at 20%. When in reality, it might be actually a lot wider than that. Let's see. I mean, they said they're generating half the revenue. So yeah, yeah so, it have to be the, yeah. Yeah, the, I don't know. And also, I was kind of going through Microsoft's conference call. I think they quote like some market share stuff that might be that I, I wonder where they're getting these numbers. Like we're growing share in search. Maybe, maybe 
Yeah, not uh, really though. Like, I don't know if, so if Google's growing search revenue at 5% and Bing's growing it at 6%, Google yeah, is still grow. growing share. Yeah. And they guided for, they literally said in the conference call, they said, let me make sure I find the quote. They expect Microsoft expects search and news advertising to grow mid to high single digits over the next couple of years. A lot of that's LinkedIn too. LinkedIn's really the, the growth driver there. So I, I don't know. I just kind of find it hard to believe that that's, that's growing share versus Google. Yeah. And if we look at the market share, if we just look at Statista, which I guess is not the arbiter of truth, but they have AWS at 32% market share and then Azure at 23%. That's typically around the numbers that I always see when I look stuff up um, without the hard numbers in front of me. So yeah, I guess you're right, Ryan. They definitely do. I mean, it's still phenomenal business, but it seems like they overstate their size versus AWS and maybe, yeah. And Maybe it's it's like, I don't know. Uh, Maybe there's a different way to measure it or something. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Microsoft gains a little share on search queries because as someone who uses uh, Windows for the laptop we're using right now, they're blasting users with notifications. Switch to Bing, try Bing, try our new AI Bing thing. And that's fine, but I don't really care. And you can try it up and then most people switch back because they're locked into the Google ecosystem or really the Apple ecosystem too. I think so far it's pretty clear that the return on invested capital for all these AI tools in search, now TBD on office tools and productivity tools, but the return on spend for search seems very, very negative. What do you think? Yeah, it. I think we can look back now and frankly, pat ourselves on the back because when Google was selling off uh, because chat GPT was going to take its whole market, that was in hindsight, a wonderful buying opportunity. And I think a lot of people recognize like, yeah, that's just not going to happen. And I think it was one of probably one of the easier buying opportunities since I've started investing. Yeah. It's nice and when you, I think we bought, didn't we? Which yeah, I think, I think, pat so. on the back. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll get to one where it's not a pat on the back next, but yeah, the, I think so. I can't remember honestly, but yeah, it, it seemed fairly easy. And I think it's an example of you learn about a company and if you know about it, you know, you understand it well, it might take a couple of years for something like alphabet, you know, it's a complicated one, but in the end, it's really not, I guess when you kind of get down to it, but it's hard, you know, all the different segments and stuff like that, you get comfortable with the, the long-term competitive advantages. And then you wait for this price dislocation out of some weird narrative and you see it time and time again, especially, I think it's even more influential in the internet age where some news narrative gets thrown around. I mean, it was so prominent with chat GPT earlier this year. And there's some narrative about Google losing market share. and then. If you're confident in the business, hey, it could be a good time to buy. Yeah, all right, I think I've, to, uh, all right. As a, I was going to say, I think I found that if a competitive threat, if it's just a threat, like there hasn't been any real change in market share usage or, or any change to the business fundamentally. Just a narrative. 
just a narrative around something that could happen. If it's if something sells off because of that, it feels like nine times out of ten, it's it means nothing. Like it doesn't actually impact the business in any way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Although remember when we said what was the company with Anheuser Busch? We said that in the spring. That was another example of that we're like, oh yeah, typically, you know, if we look at kind of the historical examples. You want to fade that, but that was the one. That's the one out of ten. There, that's the exception to the rule. Yeah, that was that was kind of the the odd one out. I I would say there's still time, maybe before there is still time. It could still short term could be multiple years, but obviously a beer company that's been around for four hundred years or whatever it is, uh, three hundred, two hundred years. Yeah, that could be short in their time frame. But let's move to one that wasn't very good. Stock was down over ten percent, and that is Spotify. I have some interesting maybe numbers to roll through and we can talk about the price increases and how that might impact it and whether how we're thinking about that. But Ryan, why don't we go through maybe some of the earnings first, the actual numbers and see what you think. Oh, I guess I don't really have any numbers. I just wanted to maybe go uh, MAUs, user. I'll just go with the generalizations from what I remember. User growth was a record this quarter, if I'm not mistaken, especially over the last 12 months. It's they've had more user onboards than any other 12 month period in their company's history by a mile. Um, revenue growth was a little slower. It seems like they're signing on a lot of lower ARPU customers because they're seeing big adoption in the rest of the world, which I'm guessing, I haven't read the conference call still, but I'm guessing there was some solid growth in India, which is kind of a lower ARPU market. Um, they called that out the last conference call as a particular market that did well. Um, so revenue growth lagged user growth a little bit. The issue here was that gross margin expansion was non-existent, and that's kind of the story here. Basically, are they going to be able to get out of this 25% gross margin rut where they pay every uh, 60 to 70 cents on every dollar out to the labels? It doesn't seem like anything has come yet. Advertising on the podcast side was growing, albeit a little slowly. I mean, it was fine. Yeah, but- it's like 30%. And it's like, okay, it's not bad, but it's not great given all the investments. Yeah. So I don't know. I was, I actually, I don't know. I came away, came away a little disappointed this quarter. It feels to me like Groundhog Day where it's, we have seen, we've seen no margin, no real margin improvement. There's a bunch of one-time costs that if you strip out, maybe there, and they first, for the first time, I think ever, they started reporting an adjusted gross margin, which not a fan of that. Um, I hope they don't have to do that on an ongoing well, basis. I think it's fair. I think it's fair for the layoffs. It's when a company does layoffs, I think that's fair. But potentially, don't want to see that every year. But if I you're mean, hiring, it's totally. If you're fair. still hiring a lot of people, and you just have to keep doing different rounds of layoffs, I don't know. You're going to keep getting sad. I don't know. Maybe if it's just a one-time layoff, but if they're hiring in some places, laying off in other places, and they keep having to do it. There's a problem. And they've done two rounds, right? Uh, maybe, maybe. Hard to remember. I think they did one big one. Anyway, um, whatever. It, it, it just it feels like every quarter 
I don't necessarily, we, we don't see kind of the margin of improvement you'd want to see in aggregate. And every single time it's just wait till the end of the year, just wait till the end of the year, there's going to be some margin improvement. And I don't know, I think eventually you just kind of grow frustrated, but I've, I've given myself a timetable. We've said, you know, yeah, we, we want to see, we want to see a full 2023 because that's when their investment period is fading away. So there should be kind of the true steady state economics. Yeah. I think one other note, yeah, I basically agree with all that. Other note is that I think honestly, the biggest spending problem might be in the operating expense expense line because we look at their R and D spend. I want to actually, no, I remember what it is. It was over 400 million euros, which if we convert to dollars would be a little less with this current exchange rate, but we'll just keep it as euros. Over 400 million euros in R&D spend last quarter, which I think is quite high for a company of this size. They don't have the advantage of a big tech company to be able to spend $10, $20 billion a quarter, or not a quarter, a year or whatever they spend. Either way, like I think that's, uh, I wouldn't call it a, like a deciding factor because maybe they're getting really good returns on this R and D spend. But I think the easiest way for them to do it, like to, to get to profitability in the short term would be to really cut down on that R and D spend because the sales and marketing spend looks great. They're getting really efficient with that, uh, for onboarded customers. The G and a spend has always been fine. They don't, they're pretty efficient in that regard. But it seems like they got all these projects, like they're kind of a big tech company. They have a little bit of the Amazon problem, but they've never shown profitability. So I don't think they have, like investors like ourselves are not going to give them the leeway to have other bets, big bets, huge R&D spend, because they haven't proven that they have been can be profitable yet. They, I don't know, curious your thoughts on that, of whether they need to show it first before having the trust from investors that okay you can spend big on this r&d because we know you can actually be profitable if you want to be yeah because i think that's honestly a huge question is whether or not they can generate i don't consistent 10 percent profit margins if they wanted to because it doesn't seem like they can the other part that's yeah if they were getting huge returns out of these like R&D investments, you know, st- stuff like AI DJ, like it's cool. I know you like it. But- it seems like they're getting a lot of usage on it. That's probably a good one, right? Uh, it's definitely a, I mean, I Maybe. think that's fantastic. That's that's a fantastic use of R&D spend because they're retaining users and they're going to increase the usage. And every time they make one of these things that people actually use, AI DJ, Discover Weekly, all the automated playlists. I mean, that's the key reason why they have lower churn, why they have higher usage rates, why they're going to have that, essentially the pricing power. I think those are great, but doing that running stuff with Nike back in the day, the hardware stuff, the plenty of other things that were kind of the wilder R&D bets, uh, I think are a little far-fetched. Yeah. I'm not sure what the makeup is of that whole R&D line, but I imagine a lot of it now is they acquired a bunch of businesses wooshka all in podcasting gimlet megaphone anchor uh just i'm i'm probably 
what was it? Foot Locker? No. Uh, <laughs> Uh, locker room find a way or locker room yeah i think that's find a way was down. another one Lock, locker, locker room's room. all shut down now but was yeah locker room? yeah they remember the they is, made spotify live remember they probably put a lot of r&d dollars into that yeah it just it feels like the majority have been misses they they've had good every time they've kind of changed the user interface changed the user experience it's been pretty successful but some of these new products are just flops and so I'm okay with them taking chances if we know that they're actually profitable first. And since yeah, right. we don't know that, it's like if you're going to miss a bunch of times, it's not worth it for me if I have no sense of what you're generating. The other part that kind of pisses me off is the stock based compensation. We've talked about it before. My concern here is that I get annoyed with this for other companies. But for Spotify, they consistently talk about free cash flow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, we, gener- zero. we generate zero. positive free cash flow. Okay. I've got the numbers up from Stratosphere right here. Since, let's call it 2019, because I want to pick a number that's they've been public for a while. Uh, stock based companies, I think free cash flow is probably flat to down over the last three or four years. Stock-based compensation has compounded at 32% a year. Well, let's get that free cash flow number there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's consistently frustrating for me. Yeah, the operating expenses, they are in a better spot. I mean, it's not a good spot because they're spending too much on their OPEX. But they're in a better spot than a company that's, say, has to spend a lot of money on sales and marketing just to kind of keep the engine rolling because then the risk is, okay, we take off the sales and marketing spend and the whole thing falls apart. That doesn't seem to be an issue. And that's a way bigger issue for us when we look at a company. But it seems like the R&D spend, they're not like willing to get it. Yeah, they're not willing to get efficient in there. And, and you see when they talk about that, I think, like, yeah, he eventually push is going to come to shove. It's interesting because a lot of the business looks really, really strong right now. I think maybe we can talk about the pricing power stuff here because we don't want to just complain as frustrated shareholders for the entire podcast, but uh, there's a lot of stuff that looks good, right? And and there's just a few no, problems. That, yeah, it's users. That's yeah. it. Well, users and, and <laughs> I mean, and the ability to raise prices and the I thought they were slow. Yeah. Okay. That I think they'll be able to raise prices. It's weird that they didn't mention it, I guess much, but I thought they were like shuttering their podcast originals. What do you mean? Oh, they're Weren't shutting they? the, the Spotify studios, but now it's all either in uh licensed or ringer or Gimlet. I think they shut down podcast and absorb those into other stuff, the successful shows they absorbed into other ones, I think, or it actually could be reverse. Gimlet could be shutting down. I don't remember, but they still have the originals. It's just not under the Spotify originals anymore. So this new Trevor Noah show, is that not that's just a, li- I think it, that's just I, a licensing I, deal? I think it's licensed or it's produced by one of these other companies. Yeah. But that's better than doing a Kim Kardashian show. Yeah, at least he's a successful media personality. But let's let's move into... The pricing power because I think this is another interesting discussion as we talk about the streaming business in general. And as I ran through the numbers, I was kind of thinking, man, maybe this the labels might be <laughs> the better opportunity here. 
uh, as a lot of people seem to comment and talk to us about, uh, and maybe we'll, we'll finally get religion there, but let's go through some math and kind of w- what the price hikes are going to be. So these price hikes were done in a lot of countries, but I kind of want to hone in on North America as an example. That's Canada and the United States. It's one of their most important regions, maybe their most important region in total. Um, if we go through the math, they basically have 61.6 million subscribers in North America as of the end of Q2. Now, someone mentioned to me that a lot of these subscribers are going to be on the duo plan or the family plans where there might be as much as six people that count under one subscription plan. So these price hikes won't be as meaningful as we're talking about here uh, when I go through these numbers. But some of the price, you know, some of the plans were increased by $2. Uh, There's also international price hikes. So I think this is a good rough because they don't they don't break out how many people are in the family plan. So this is a good ballpark number of what the growth is going to be from these. Um, and if we look at what the price hikes were, basically they announced $1 a month price hikes across the board for all those plans. Um, some of it were different. So if we say that all of these 61.6 million subs stay around, get the price hike, they're going to be paying $12 more per month, or excuse me, per year to Spotify. And if we run through the math on what that'll mean from a revenue generation, just multiply those two numbers together, that would be $740 million in revenue for Spotify each year. Uh, premium business currently, if we analyze Q2, is at $12.2 billion. So that can mean 6% revenue growth for the company just from these North American price increases over the next year. I think that's pretty sizable. And I think it's interesting. But the big question, and it's something they can't really share with us until it actually flows through the income statement, is whether they negotiated better margins with the labels while they wrote, wrote uh, raised prices. Well, they talked about the labels talked about that on a conference call, didn't they? I think the the no one has said anything explicitly. I think the they didn't get better. Uh, if you kind of read through the tea leaves, they didn't get better, or whatever. It's the same unit economics, but. I don't know. What are your thoughts on the price hikes? I I don't think that they got better economics would be my bet. But that's kind of, you know, it's impossible to know. I'm trying to find Alex Morris talked about this a little bit. Um shout out Alex. We had yeah. a we had him on a, as an interview talking Kava last week. Um as you look for that, we have a question from Matthias. I hope I'm always pronouncing your name right. Uh, thank you, Matt H., for coming back on the show again or uh, on the comment section. Can they, I think he's talking about Spotify here, really keep taking price going forward? I've seen YouTube Music pushing its product hard to me the past few weeks. Haven't switched, but was intriguing. I will say that YouTube Premium, which I think is where a lot of people access YouTube Music, they increased their prices by $2 as well. What are your thoughts on that, Ryan? The competition, people saying they're going to leave or... Yeah, the the can Spotify continue to raise prices? Say, could they do it? This is the scenario I laid down. Could they do it once every two years? Without, yeah, I, I think so. I don't think. I mean, that's I'm the not issue. gonna. I was thinking about it today. I was like, if I had to switch, it would just be such a pain. Sure, there's the same music on all the platforms, but just like getting used to the new layout, downloading all the same playlists maybe trying to find some software that switches it. Like it's just not worth it when you can just pay a dollar extra. Plus 
Spotify is one of the cheaper ones anyways, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe you get something subsidized by Apple. Maybe YouTube, you get no ads, but I don't know. I, I like Spotify. I think most people like Spotify. They have the lowest churn in the industry, I believe. And their price churn to value is still pretty, pretty high. Or the spread's yeah. pretty wide because you only need one music streaming service and like the, the I, usage rate, like the, the value people get, like I use it multiple hours per day. It, it's it's very, very useful. It would take a lot for me to switch, but it, who knows? We'll see in the data. It is. Yeah, it is one of those things where people are, I've seen this a lot. It's always people on like surveys or outspoken on social media where they're like, Spotify finally finally raising prices gives me a chance to switch. I'm like, That's all not- the other all the other <laughs> platforms you'd switch to raise prices too. Like, yeah, you just not you you don't have that one, so you haven't noticed. Um, anyway, but the uh, so I found the quote here. It says this was from the Universal Music Group earnings call. The CEO I think said. You asked about the rates were paid from DSPs, which is uh, Spotify and them. If at higher prices we were paid a different rate, I think the simple answer is no. In well, terms of then, I guess don't have to read through the tea leaves. He's pretty explicit there. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. Seems unlikely they got better economics, but still, it. Well, it should. It, okay, it's a lift thing, to gross profit. Yeah, here's the thing. Yeah, like I was about to say the same thing. It is okay. Only they they collect only two thirds of that. Um, it's still going. That's that's two like the one third that goes to. Oh wait, excuse me. They collect one third. Two thirds goes to the labels and the rights holders. They collect one third of that. That's still thirty of that revenue of that seven hundred forty million dollars. A third of that is going to hopefully, and as we say, it's always theoretical. Then hopefully, that's straight to the bottom line, straight to the balance sheet that they can either reinvest. Which, as we talked about, they might be reinvesting a little too much, but hopefully it'll fall straight to the bottom line. So we don't, with the price increases, they can be attractive regardless of whether it pushes margins up because they are there with the music business. They have ways to drive margins higher, which is the marketplace, which we've seen consistently over the last five years, them doing so. The problem is, and again, I'll reiterate this, is the operating expenses and the gross margins on all the podcast investments, which they seem to have overdone. And we, everyone's probably seen the story with Meghan Markle and all that stuff and all these crazy shows. Only a few of them really made sense to the established shows like Joe Rogan, Armchair Expert, Caller Daddy, stuff like that. Here's another question from Matt H. He says, Google and Apple will always just bundle and undercut them on price, keeping margins low. I've heard the margins will improve for like five years now and it never does. I think that makes sense in theory, but in reality, that's not what we're actually seeing with the business. Google and Apple have had competitors out there for years. The margins are going to be the same on a gross basis across all of these players. And again, I will say the problem is the 400 plus million euros in R&D spent. So I, I think that I'm curious what your final thoughts here, Ryan, is we maybe want to move on to something else. No, Matthias, I think you're right but in this case for the wrong reasons. So, yeah. I mean, margins are consistently low, but that's not because of competition. The fact is comp, they have been undercutting on price, subsidizing, bundling, bundling, doing all this stuff. And still Spotify has gained share. Spotify has gone from hun- probably a hundred million in 2015 time period to 551 million monthly active users in the time when all those companies were offering different products. So it's, and margins are 
it's still the same, but it's not because of the pricing competitiveness. In my opinion, it's because the labels take the, the contracts with the labels are just simply fickle and they experiment with stuff. And, <laughs> right. Yeah. My they got too gripe, many employees. They got a lot of employees. My gripe isn't in the cost of revenue line. It's in the operating expense line. Same as Brett's. I think okay. it's, I have more of an issue, I think with management's approach as opposed to like the market as a whole, I am not, con- I'm not very concerned about the competitive threats. Yeah. And if these companies, it seems like they kind of work, it's, it's one of those rational industries where they'll just keep raising prices. If they do that and then the whole, like the user, the, the premium subscribers as a whole are growing and they're raising prices for the next 10 years, you should be able to see industry revenues. And I'm talking about DSP revenues grow at 10% probably annually. We had another question here uh, from our, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to pronounce your name here, but thank you for the question. Thank you for, uh, for joining. What do you think of Farfetch? We looked at them a long time ago. It's kind of a fallen angel. It was one of the ones we debated on doing this month for our fallen angels, uh, which for anyone that hasn't referenced, we're doing, we've done Lyft, Pinterest, and why am I forgetting the other one, Ryan? What was? We're going to be doing WeWork here, we but work. we've also done Lyft, Pinterest. SoFi. SoFi. SoFi was probably the most intriguing. Lyft and Pinterest I was kind of disappointed in. Farfetch, though, it's down a ton. Stock's at $5.40 and market cap's only $1.9 billion. If I remember correctly, well, one, this was a Bill Huang, uh, what do I call it? Pump and dump? Or pump without, <laughs> without the, I guess it was just the, the pump without the dump. Uh I just remember being worried about the China exposure as that's just a tough market for us Americans to understand. Yeah, there was a lot of China exposure. I, you know, I don't know the business that well, but I remember looking at the balance sheet and thinking it was extremely complicated. And typically, if it's a complicated balance sheet, but you can get the sense that it's not a huge deal like if, if if it's complicated in terms of like their debt structure but the debt isn't that big I, you know you can look past it as an investor but they were heavily indebted if i'm not mistaken and it becomes kind of a much bigger issue when it's a ton of debt and really complicated maybe i just didn't look at it for long enough and maybe it's gotten a little cleaner since, but I remember thinking it's a complicated balance sheet and they're not consistently profitable, which makes it really difficult to kind of assess. And it makes it feel like a higher risk investment, which is probably, I'm guessing, why what it's happened? sold off. Yeah, yeah. It's, it honestly seems maybe, I don't know, I haven't looked at the numbers, maybe similar to a Lyft, maybe similar to a Pinterest where there's good theory on why the investment could work, but they haven't really shown it in the income statement or the cash flow yet. But honestly, I could be wrong. I haven't looked at Farfetch yet. Yeah, if they are profitable, maybe it's an interesting time to buy. And I like channel. the I like the concept. I like the marketplace for luxury goods concept. It seems like something that should be its own service as opposed to a part of like Amazon or something. All right. What do we want to talk about next? Meta. Okay, go right ahead. Meta uh gosh. Good quarter. Stock was up like 7%. And they're taking this year of efficiency to heart. 
So they ended the second quarter with over 71,000 employees down 7% from the first quarter. And they said their Q2 headcount still included roughly half of the approximately 10,000 employees impacted by the 2023 layoff. So should come down even. Um, Hey, hey, Daniel, talk to your guy, talk to your friend, suck. And let's get like, come on, but sorry, keep continuing. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, revenue was up 11% daily active people or users was up 7%, which is just astounding considering they already have basically, I think it's like 3 billion or something like that. Um, Then operating income was up 12%. This was probably the investment and company we were the most wrong on in the last two years. Of, uh, uh, we didn't do anything, but yeah, I guess sin of, we don't omission. lose any money. Sent of omission because we understood that Instagram was going to stick around. WhatsApp was going to continue to grow. Yeah. The worst part was I was public about it, saying <laughs> it was not a good investment. So people can hold hold my feet to the fire on that one. But uh, yeah, I still have some of the same concerns, I think, just around. To me, I still don't see why the metaverse spend is as large as it is. And, you know, I I just don't think they're going to get a good return on that. But I think where I was wrong was they are able to continue growing earnings from the core businesses at a pace where it allows them to not only, they can keep investing in the metaverse while still growing earnings. That kind of surprised me. I didn't expect that. And I think now, after all the Twitter shenanigans that have gone on, it's given me a sense that social media businesses are pretty impossible to disrupt at this point. Yeah, because we're still on Twitter. I think we'll I'm be on, there for I'm a long on time. X. Oh, X, yeah. I'm on X.com. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Don't. What do you think about that? Interesting. I think he's trying to see how many dumb things he can do to keep people and people still stick around. The only thing that I, I'll stick around. I, we're a little different because I guess it's part of our business, but still there. Yeah. The only thing that's bothered, I don't care if they got a different logo. The only thing that's bothered me is like, like when I have it as a tab on my computer, I keep missing it. You know, I'm like, where's the bluebird? Yeah. Like, <laughs> And if it, that's what, yeah, Meta with the threads thing needs to create a browser because I, as someone who's basically takes Twitter off the phone because we'd be on it too much on FinTwit, you need it on the browser. I'm not going to go on thread or I'm not going to create a chit chat money threads account unless we have a browser access. I think, yeah, the Meta, it's interesting. TikTok so seems to be- never doubted the Zuck. Yeah, they're good. They're just good at filling ads. They're good at making, they're just good at ads and they're good at getting people to stick to their product. I mean, Instagram is so strong. Reels is crushing it. TikTok is stagnating. TikTok's still big, but it's stagnating. And that's really it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, man. And you know what? They are taking this efficiency approach to heart and actually implementing it. Other ones are saying it. And, you're not really seeing it. hundred I mean, percent. Employee count, I think it's still going up at Google. They never well, really not, said they wanted to be efficient, but they, well, it went down this quarter, but what's funny is it went down significantly less than the, the people they laid off. So they're still hiring and it's probably going to 
be growing year over year. I think it's probably still up year over year, maybe not. But even if it isn't, it is. it's gonna be it it's gonna be up year over year soon. It was up like seven thousand employees year over year. The yeah, so they're not taking it seriously. Here's on the year of efficiency though. The one gripe I have with Meta, the one gripe I have with Google, the one gripe I have with a lot of these big tech companies, except the one we don't talk about very much, and that is Apple, is the finance departments, the capital returns programs. Apple is so much better than these people. I think it's probably why Buffett's in there over others. And when we've seen that, we saw that viral video, it probably didn't go viral because no one really cares about it except people like us. When the CFO was talking about how they have like seven people that just consistently buy back. That manages their entire $100 billion cash pile. Yeah, and they just buy back, bought back stock consistently. We see Google or Alphabet just have a ton of cash on the balance sheet. They didn't take any of the low-cost leverage. They could have gotten 10-year bonds at sub-3% for a long time. They probably, like Apple, they probably couldn't. I don't know how much Apple has, maybe $200 billion in debt. They could have taken that out, bought back stock. The same as Apple. Facebook, or Meta, excuse me, is talking about getting debt now. Like, oh, oh, why are you today getting debt instead of they, they two, actually, three years ago? I mean, didn't they... They did their first bond offering like not that long ago. I think it was like two, yeah. a couple quarters ago. I'm like, I, I bet they still got a decent rate, but you could have been doing this. It's easy to say that with hindsight, but it was honestly pretty even then. Like, no, no, it, it's, it, I don't, there's no hindsight bias here. The, the, rates, the, the were zero. rates were, yeah, zero. It's it doesn't like, like the money was, they were giving you money as long as you can invest it and earn a positive return. It makes sense to take it. Yeah. Let me look. At and I know Apple at some points was trading at a cheaper valuation, but I think Alphabet could have done the same thing. Meta for a time was trading at a probably for sometimes a higher valuation, but if they just did consistent buybacks, I think it, it wouldn't matter. If we look at the last 10 years, Apple's shares outstanding are down 37.5%. Now, let me look at Google. Down 5.5%. Meta down 4.4%. So just slight declines really only happened in the last few years. I see no reason why those shares outstanding charts shouldn't look exactly like Apple. And what's funny is Apple is actually paying out a dividend too. Yeah. And they so that's my big gripe with Meta on the cost stuff. Everything else looks great, but yeah, the only bummer I think with so for Google and Meta, most of the employees that I'm thinking of are all like, it's, I I bet as a percentage of the overall employees, there's more um, engineers and like salaried, salaried employees than what Apple has. Because I think Apple has a lot more like employees that are working at like the storefronts. Fair. Yeah. So there it's, I don't know, probably not paying out stock based compensation to those, but the either way, still, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It should They're just matter. as profitable from a size, like their earnings ratios, gap, you know, including SPC, were pretty close for a while. Apple for a little bit was trading at a really, really cheap valuation, but Alphabet's been there before. With all the money that Alphabet's been putting into the buyback. The fact that the shares outstanding are down like a single digit percentage over the last three years is insane. No, no, that was 10. That was 10. 
Let me look at three. You look um, at the Jerry Capital thing. I think it was by quarter, not by year. Well, I I was doing ten for this oh, reference, but the last three years for Alphabet, we're at seven. Down seven percent. Down seven. I mean, still pretty. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. But considering how much they've they've probably put what two hundred billion dollars into the buyback, almost hundred. They're at a pace right now. They're at a pace at sixty billion per year. I I think it's higher than it was. So maybe let's say one hundred fifty. Yeah, that's. A bummer, but at least I don't know. I like that with Google, it doesn't trade a ridiculous premium because it makes it easier to own. It's frustrating sometimes, but they, I think they're what, 21 times free cash flow? They should throw a huge bag at the Apple CFO and convince him to come over. Throw him, I'm not joking, a billion dollar thing. He would make it, would be so worth it. He's the only like people are like who should replace the Google CFO, Apple guy, hundred percent. He's the best. He's the best CFO. Well, didn't they just hire um, a chief investment officer? No, no, that was the existing CFO. Come on, Ryan, you're a shareholder. You gotta sorry. Gotta be up on that. <laughs> no, it's confusing. It really doesn't matter. But yeah, the CFO it's is a- transitioning to a chief investment officer, which again smells like bloat to me, but. Okay. Yeah. I thought it said it. I just read appointment of president and CIO. Yeah. I'm fine with that. I am fine with it's Ruth, right? Ruth yeah. moving on. I got to be honest. I don't think she did a good job. I, I concur with that statement. All right. But it doesn't matter because it's such an easy business to run. That, you know, there's a lot of faults that can be, uh, uh, whatever you paste it over. I sometimes think about all the costs that Google is fronting for other people yeah. for, for like the users that they're keeping free. And it blows my mind. Like yeah. with Google workspace, all the gigs of storage that is giving out. And then if like, if I max out 15, I just make a new email and do it again instead of paying, like, I don't know. They are just fronting the cost for all these users and they're still generating 30% margins. And the problem is the employees. Yeah. (laughs) It's not even the variable costs. Anyway. uh, Okay. Other companies that reported earnings. Let's go through some of these fast. Visa and MasterCard, the card networks. Remarkable. 15% revenue growth, a little higher operating earnings growth. Both of them actually here. Here are the exact numbers. MasterCard grew revenues 14% year over year and operating income 21%. Visa grew revenues 15% and net income 22%. Is that constant currency or net revenue? That was no, that was reported. Constant currency was like slightly higher on both both uh revenue and earnings, but they are. I think if I were just an investor didn't waste my time looking at my portfolio every day and not trying to like manage positions. And I just wanted something that I was going to like keep in a, basically a stock portfolio for the next 20 years. Visa and MasterCard would be at the top of my list. Yeah. I throw in a trifecta at an Amex. Yeah. Throw at least, yeah. They're, they're uh, the one thing I, I did read the visa calls when I try to keep up with and the one concerning thing was that spending volume growth in the United States has declined to more closer to, I think, 5%. So 
So I guess that's a little bit of a concern, but I think there was a uh, headwind because of gasoline prices that had a big impact because last year at this time, energy prices were soaring. So there was some inflation there and, you know, this is a great business because it's hedged against inflation. But this year, there was a little bit of deflation on energy prices. Hey, if if a bad year is 5% growth, really profitable growth, that's pretty impressive. Uh, Chipotle down like 10% after earnings. Well, when you're trading at 60 times earnings, what's funny is like, what's that PE now going to be? Like 55. <laughs> I've seen Google here. It says 52. Uh, could be. Yeah. I think some of these consumer goods businesses are so overvalued. You have Coca-Cola here too. Yeah. Like Pepsi, we were looking at like, listen, these are really good businesses, but they just aren't going to generate good returns at 30 times earnings. You know, maybe, maybe what's people just realize that they're very indestructible and they're okay with getting three, four, 5% returns. But yeah, I mean, the forward returns are going to be pretty damn low unless you think that the multiple is going to continue to expand. What about this Hershey short report? I hope it works. I hope the shorts are right. That's what I said to someone about Texas Instruments too. There's like a good little thesis on it. Texas Instruments can run into some trouble with inventory woes and stuff like that. I hope it goes down 50% so I can buy both of those companies. Hershey is uh, it's, it's a damn good business. Let me just read off their brands. We did, cut, we did cover them. I want to say a little while ago. They have a ton of brands. They got uh, dots now. Dots pretzels. Yeah, um, that's doing well for them. The yeah, but didn't we do a show on them semi recently? If someone wants to actually have the inside, I thought that was a really fun show. And surprisingly, I thought even better about their business than it used to be. They have okay, Reese's, Hershey, obviously, Dots, Skinny Pop, Twizzlers, your peppermint patties, Rolos, Kit Kat, Brookside Chocolate. Hershey's Kisses, obviously. They own the snack aisle. Are they on the candy aisle? They're one of the, yeah, they're one of the big ones that owns the candy aisle along with Mars and forgetting the other one. Yeah. It, I hope I, I don't the short reports aren't new entrants aren't gonna work, as we've seen time and time again. There's no way yeah. Reese's is I think it's similar to Pepsi, how Frito Lay is actually like an amazing business under the Pepsi brand. Reese's is like the same thing where it's better than the, the namesake brand. Yeah, to me, it. I didn't read the short report, so I'm not slandering the short report at all. And I think that guy actually does pretty good work, but it, it's not gonna like, it's not gonna kill Hershey. There's no way. And and what we're referring to is like Mr. Beast, which is a very popular, uh, kind of YouTuber mostly, but number just one influencer. ever, I think. Yeah. Um, launched his own candy, but. That is great, but people have attachments to Reese's and these brands that were cultivated over 20 years. They're not going to stop buying them just because Beastables is out or whatever. Yeah, it's similar to the alcohol stuff where who has a lot of celebrities do tequila brands. You're not going to take down the number ones out there. And honestly, candy is probably more durable. We had a question here uh, from Mr. Seymour Duck. Don't think that's your real name. <laughs> uh, 
What do you think about Comcast Mario IP strong with the movie and Super Nintendo World? Thanks, Nintendo. Uh, full disclosure, we own Nintendo. We think that's probably the better way to do it. But Comcast, I think, is from what I've read. Uh, again, the person we mentioned earlier, Science of Hitting, Alex, he covers them pretty well. And that's kind of where I get my info on them since I don't follow them that closely. I think if they fix their TV stuff, their TV, like media, their media stuff, the stock looks cheap because the cable business seems steady. The Universal Studios business seems steady. It just if they can figure out, like Peacock is just a big pimple that I, I don't, I mean, it's just going to burn money for a long, long time. It, I, I just don't like the, and I've said this for a while. I don't like the um, media businesses that are like sitting on the fence where they're kind of like the, the linear business is slowly declining or just melting. And then the streaming business is like subscale. I think you really got to pour your investments into one place. Um, I think Disney's going through a lot of the same troubles. The, but I, I will think- say, however, Peacock. I use Peacock a lot. I know that's that doesn't change the economics because of you're business. A, uh, soccer. Is that yeah, soccer? they've got yeah. the e, they've got all the EPL sports rights, um, and I've been watching Yellowstone too, which is pretty good. They got that. NBC's got a, I mean, or Comcast has a good uh good catalog of stuff. But that's true. Yeah, they have they have a good one. It just seems like they're doing the same as HBO Max, where it's like. It just not Netflix is just crushing you on everything else. Like every which is funny thing. because it's it's all ad supported too. So you would think they have like enough revenue per user to make the economics work, but yeah, I think though the mention the comment here about the relationship with Nintendo is I probably being underrated that if they have the long term relationship for Nintendo for all their non video game stuff right for the big licensing partner there i think that's that's a very very strong relationship to have yeah he said earnings were up earnings for today and it's up six percent so and the cable business is solid cable is very durable um all right two minutes left anything else yeah okay let's go to world coin i'm gonna read this off to you you see you see this world coin stuff no, it's world. Yeah, coin. yeah. Okay, okay. This is good. This is good. It's uh the guy that embedded Chat GPT, Sam Altman, came out with a new cryptocurrency. Uh, and I'm glad you didn't see it since we're on vacation, kind of off the grid a bit. Here is this is a tweet from them. The World Coin Project is now live. There's a few paragraphs here, but I'm gonna read it and then you tell me if you're interested. Uh, let's see. Okay. So basically what it is, is you have these orbs with these iris scanning devices and they, they lock you into this cryptocurrency system to have your iris scanned. And it says you can now download, download world app, the first protocol compatible wallet and reserve your share. After visiting an orb, the thing that you stare into a biometric verification device, you will receive a world ID. This lets you prove you are a real and unique person online while remaining completely private. And the global distribution of orbs is ramping up so you can find the closest one and book time to be verified with world app and worldcoin.org. Are you interested, Ryan, in enjoying Sam Altman's world coin revolution here? Oh my God, no. Yes. 
I'm not giving my eyes information to a company called Worldcoin. I, I just I've watched too many sci-fi movies. Also, come on, it's so close to Worldcom. <laughs> That's a good point. That's I gotta say this this bad omen. The open AI stuff, this world coin. I don't trust these entities at all. There's so just something that yeah, smells a huh? not a hater. I just am a little skeptical. Like something seems off with this stuff. I don't I just, know. I, just ba- I get a bad feeling. I get a bad feeling. I don't know if it's like I don't know if I get the same like bad feeling necessarily because I just don't think it'll be that important. Like I don't it's just, think it's just it'll a lot be of that hype. useful. Yeah, it's a lot of hype right now, and so it's like, is it really gonna affect us in any way? No, I don't necessarily trust Sam Altman, especially after this World Coin stuff. That that's kind of mind blowing to me. I didn't know they were like, I didn't know he's a crypto guy too. Um, yeah, I, I, that's kind of one of the interesting things, uh, and I know we're going over, but a lot of people around the crypto universe, they tout the secrecy and privacy and how it's decentralized and all this stuff. And then there's projects like this where it's like, just give us all your DNA, your your eyeballs. Don't worry. It's private. Don't worry. It's private. Yeah. But it's not, no one else will have access to it. Just us. It's like, yeah, yeah. That's the same. It's decentralized through us. Yeah. And they're like, dude, this thing's, this thing's going crazy. Like there's lines out the door and I don't know where it was. Let's say the Philippines, it could have been the somewhere else, but it was these giant line of a hundred people going to get their eye scanned. And it, it's like, yeah, because you're promising them $20. So if they that's get 20 size, bucks to do it, so, something along those lines, you're getting paid basically. Cause if you scan it, you get your crypto. <laughs> that seems unsustainable. Yeah, well, TBD. We'll see what happens. Uh, there's already a ton of, as again, we're going on. There was a huge MIT review study that basically showed this that Worldcoin is a huge scam. But who knows? Maybe it's going to take over the world. And I think we're going to need a Worldcoin update maybe a couple months from now. We'll see how it's doing. Okay, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for the people coming in with the great comments. Matt H, Seymour Duck, all the rest. You can join us on Thursday mornings or Thursday midday, depending on where you live, 1230 Eastern time, 930 a.m. Pacific time. We typically go live. You can watch the replays on YouTube or listen to the replays wherever you get your podcast. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. 